That was a little uh, intro with uh, Charlie Parker, uh, jazz musician, amazing. I love jazz. And uh, usually I play an entire song, but we have a very, very, very special uh, culture class today. And in all of the culture classes that I've done in the COVID series, uh, which started March 18, has, uh, you know, had, you know, has evolved with the narrative and the theme every week, which we know about. But this is number 19. This is the 19th culture class. Now, of course, you all know that I've been doing this, uh, you know, for clients and I have a premium offering where people come in and they have this every week and it's mostly of these I guiding. But, uh, you know, I've been doing this for free and now pay as you can since March 18th. Uh, I do my zeitguiding in the beginning, as most of you know, and uh, then we have our hearts and minds segments with uh, people who could really illuminate uh, what's happening in their businesses so that we could all learn from them and connect with them. Um, and today I am super, super, super uh, thrilled and excited by having two of the most creative visionaries uh, in the world, really, and they've been rewarded for it. Um, we have uh, Ron Simons here. Uh, <laughs> Ron, hi, how are you? Hey guys, how are you? All right, so we're gonna learn from you. And Ron, wow, you uh, won more Tonys than any other African-American producer. And uh, four Tonys. And uh, people probably know you mostly, and we'll get into your credits later, from Ain't Too Proud and uh, Color Purple. And uh, we'll talk about well, your yeah, I was an investor in Color Purple, not a producer. Just want to clarify. Well, good. Well, well, we'll learn about the difference. There we go. Okay. Uh, but you're still involved. And you got me house seat. So uh, that's all that matters. <laughs> right? uh, and then we have David Nevins, who I've known since, uh, wow, for maybe 2003. And uh, he knew me when many of you do know who've been on Culture Class. I used to do this for one person who is a Academy Award and Emmy Award and Golden Globe Award and author Brian Grazer, spiky hair guy. Um, and David was the head of TV and uh, amazing. He won Emmy for Arrested Development. And uh, he would come by my office because He's even more curious than Brian. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he would come to my <laughs> office and he would always ask, what's up? What's new? What's up? What's new? So he and I have been friends and business colleagues since then. And uh, I love his curiosity. And we're going to learn from you uh, in a bit as well. And in the beginning, as you know, I always do my zeitgeist. But I'm not going to do it as long. See the tabs up on the top, which many of you have seen. Because again, this is the 19th culture class. Uh, I have fewer tabs than usual because we want to really spend time on uh, the hearts and minds of these great leaders. And so uh, that being said, uh, let's go on to the zeitgeiting. Before we move on, I just like to do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, for those of you who don't know me because you're here because of our zeitgeist and not for me, uh, my name is Brad Grossman and I have a company called Zeitguide. And uh, basically my job is to guide you through the zeitgeist. Zeitgeist is a German word that means spirit of the times. And uh, I used to do this in print, uh, you know, as a little cultural almanac. And then I've done it customized for companies and one on one like the people like Brian. Uh, but now with culture class, I've been doing this on Zoom 
like for the past couple years actually. And I tried to bring a bigger audience during COVID. And uh, so this has been my summer semester and the COVID series beforehand. And it's what I do for clients on scale. And it's what I used to do with the actual language on emails or in print uh, to life. And here we are. So uh, this is culture class number 19. And as I said, uh, my job is to connect you to the world of ideas. And I look at the world in four particular buckets. I look at global trends. I look at tech trends. I look at consumer trends. And I look at the workplace. Well, now we don't really know what the workplace is. It's really in our homes. And for those of you who are on culture class a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the new domesticity, um, which is, you know, a reconstitution of the domesticity culture that was created in the 18th and 19th century. Think dangerous liaisons, think uh, uh, Jane Austen, where the woman who was a victim of a patriarchal society stayed at the home, the private space, and the man went to the public space, uh, went to the city, make the bacon, and then come back. And that was the beginning of capitalism. But now we're in the new domesticity where there's a conflation of private and public space. And even though we have a lot more to do, uh, there's, you know, we definitely made a lot of progress since then gender dynamics. So uh, the other part of the new domesticity, many of you probably see me in a different location. Uh, I'm actually in the country right now. I left New York City, I'm in the Hudson Valley. This isn't my place, so, uh, and as you know, not my taste. But uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm somebody who's a, a victim of the new domesticity and, and grateful that uh, I had the opportunity to be where I am right now to really you know, try to live in this horrific world that we're experiencing in the best way possible. So I'm gonna zip through these things, but when I teach you these things and when we learn from our zeitgeist, always remember that I'm just not throwing things at you. I'm trying to connect the dots, but it's all about cultural relevance. Take what you're learning, bring it back to your companies. I call that the take back to your colleagues, tell them what you learned and see how it's relevant to your organization and to your own lives and your forward moving strategies. So because we don't have that much time, I'm not going to spend that much time on tech and work, but I just wanted to say that the cultural development of this week in technology that, you know, if you were on one of my other culture classes, I would go more deeply, is that Mr. Zuckerberg goes to Washington, as you know, uh, that's a play on the film. And it's not just him, it's also Bezos, it's also Tim Cook, um, and it's also uh, Google CEO, who are there defending themselves um, to say that they aren't monopolistic. There are these antitrust investigations by Congress, but my insight or the take back that is so, that's keeping me up at night, that these are the biggest companies in the world, okay? So maybe they should be broken up, right? Google has a monopoly on advertising. Facebook owns Instagram, uh, has like 1.7 billion on Facebook, WhatsApp. You know, they're kind of like the new type of telecommunication companies that were broken up. Uh, you have uh, Jeff Bezos, which Amazon owes everything, and he owns the Washington Post. Um, and then you have Apple, where Tim Cook is, good, is friends with or has a relationship with Trump, uh, Trump and, you know, is worth over a trillion dollars in market cap. Uh, 
So, but the thing that really upsets me is that these are the biggest companies in the world. We're experiencing the biggest crisis in our lifetimes, maybe in the world, in history, and we need them. And now they have to deal with the antitrust accusations. So what that means to all of us is that, okay, so if they're preoccupied with dealing with defending themselves, all of us and other companies, and all of us who even like are unemployed or furloughed, really have the opportunity right now to save humanity or make a positive impact on the world. Um, and one way is in the work bucket this week, I've been talking about how uh, the cultural development is that Google decides to do work from home until summer 2020, uh, 2021, sorry. That's what, see, we're so nimble. That's what you gotta be today. And so that's a rude awakening for all of us because they were the ones out of all the tech companies that weren't ready to go back to the office, but now that they're, that were ready to go back to the office, but now that they could declare this, the take back is that, gosh, you know, this is gonna be really hard for all of us. So many of us, you know, can't stand our families right now, a lot of us. We have to deal with not having our kids go to school. Uh, there are many people I know, and most of my clients are HR executives, and they're dealing with how do we balance, how do we reduce stress, how do we deal with mental health, uh, cabin fever, and there's a lot of people who reject, uh, returning to addictive habits, which is really sad because they had they stopped drinking or doing drugs because the world was their oyster in that community. So the next type of, I guess, benefits that's happening is that these companies have to really respond to all this, not to mention all the conversations about systemic racism in the future and furloughs and unemployment and even technology. HR people have the hardest job right now and we have to have empathy. So every week you also know in the global part, I have a theme every week. I'm gonna scroll like the credits of a movie. I can't go into all these, but if you are on all our culture classes, you know what I had to say about all these themes. Last week I said it's about to get worse because of the reduction of the $600 and everything else, else is that happening, but my job here is to inspire you. So the theme of this week is from cultural discussion, destruction to cultural renaissance. And we have two of the most creative people in the world and visionaries that could help us do that. They have a tough job, but we're relying on you, but we also have our job to do. I got inspired to come up with this theme um, after reading Lawrence Wright's piece in uh, The New Yorker. Uh, I highly recommend it if there's one piece. And you know, he basically was talking about the Black Plagues in the Middle Ages and how this, I'm going back to like the highlights, sorry, and how this basically, now I can't find it, sorry, uh, created the Renaissance, right? It was this Black Plague basically, you know, forced people to come together. People from the Byzantine Empire came to Italy and there was this crescendo of creativity that resulted, even though we know that Christopher Columbus pillaged, uh, you know, the Native Americans, this was their creative opportunity to find a new world. Uh, we had Leonardo da Vinci who did everything and all these other amazing artists. Uh, we had uh, science go, you know, to reconstitute. So the positive thing is that we are embarking on a, a cultural re uh, renaissance, hopefully. And uh, I just thought that there was another thing the same way that we had uh, America Vespucci and Christopher Columbus and Magellan and all these cultural explorers from the Renaissance, you know, now we're seeing that 
uh, from yesterday. NASA uh, is building a robot from Mars, and this will pay the way for getting humans to the red planet. So again, this is our hopeful, you know, renaissance of humanity. So if we go to entertainment and consumers, um, uh, the whole theme here is the pivot to the new renaissance. And my take back really is to be positive. And I'm going to just zip through these, and then we're going to get right uh, to uh, where we're, you know, going to go learning from our zeitgeist, as is, I guess. So the zeitgeist to entertainment right now, uh, here are the problems, um, if you didn't know. But we're going to get more specific with our experts here, David and Ron. So we can't go to theaters, sports, or live events. We know that. Although uh, internationally theaters are opening, uh, Tenet, which uh, Christopher Nolan's movie, which has kept being pushed to the, you know, to the future, is now going to be an international open. But here, that's not happening. I know many of us are in the United States, but those of you, um, I'm American, but I am learning about the globe, so I'm obviously giving that kind of lens. Uh, production limitations, because people need to social distance. Netflix, uh, and hopefully uh, uh, David will discontinue this, uh, is basically the king of the world in terms of the content, the number of people. But we have seen the rise in other streamers. There have been four additional ones, Disney Plus, uh, uh, HBO Max, uh, uh, Peacock, the NBC one just launched. We had Disney Plus, we had Netflix. Quibi didn't seem to be a successful one, which is Jeffrey Katzenberg's one with the mobile phones. Um, so David, you're developing CBS All Access. Now I heard BritBox is a British international streaming service. They're gonna go into 25 countries. Um, so, you know, this whole streaming thing, uh, but that's a problem. And especially since many of these companies, these entertainment companies, you know, really can't produce material. They have to be really creative to figure out how they could get content on their platform. And Netflix has so much. Um, so yeah, there's a content paucity because we can't produce. It's on hold, but we're going to learn more about that from David. Um, and then all these entertainers, what are they supposed to do? What are they supposed to make? You know, they're not working. And then the thing is, and I'm so blessed that we have 63 people in a world of Zoom fatigue on this call. Wow. And uh, basically, uh, um, uh, you know, viewerships are actually starting to drop because they are re really having, consumers are having a tough time with uh, uh, all these screens. So the pivot towards the new Renaissance, I'll zip through this. Netflixification, we have these coming out, I said. Quarantine content, right? Which is pretty awesome. I think we started with Sesame Street, which is, I'm calling it Zoomification. And then I don't have time to play it. But again, those of you who contribute, you get all the links. We have Eric Whitaker, who basically had 17,572 singers from 129 countries come together uh, to produce. It's amazing, but we don't have time to see it. Um, the next thing is, is that celebrities have jumped to new platforms beyond social media. Um, I'm calling this the real virtual reality. The best example is to, uh, Travis Scott. Make this who performed on Fortnite. You can see that there's 83 million uh, views on uh, YouTube. Um, but Jarvis, who's our associate producer, thanks Jarvis for being here. Uh, how many people saw it on Fortnite? Uh, the day of, it was 1.7 million people. 
That's crazy. So that's the renaissance of entertainment. You know, here you have a real type person trying to use another platform. Even fashion is having their moment. Uh, they just had a fashion week, which was all video. So people are getting really creative. It's a creative renaissance. Um, the next theme I'm seeing is participatory media. So uh, participatory media is like really what we learned from TikTok. Uh, there was a piece about these two young people who found each other and started doing these side by side, and I'm calling it participatory media. So uh, a great uh, example of that is uh, uh, right here, but it seems like it's not going. So you could just see from the screen that you have these two people side by side. So this new platform is bringing people together. Um, again, I'll, oh, here we go. Uh, his ass about to start crying again. Really sweet. Uh, so participatory media. Uh, another example is Netflix doing these choose your own adventure things. That's participatory media in my view. Then you have personalized media uh, as a way to make money. If you didn't know, there's this, you know, you know, sports people and entertainers can't make money. So they're going directly to consumers and they're asking, you know, Caitlyn Jenner for singing happy birthday. She gets $2,500. Here is another app called Community where people could connect directly with consumers through, uh, I got you, Jarvis, uh, can uh, connect directly uh, and instantly with people that they care about the most. Uh, another ex thing that's happening is that social media is a mess right now. So this is an opportunity for everybody else. In fact, Unilever, you've heard about the Facebook boycotts, but Unilever is actually halting, um, uh, you know, all their spending on social media. And then just to another thing that's happening in this cultural renaissance is this cultural reconstruction. Uh, I, this is a play on the real reconstruction which wasn't that successful after the Civil War. But now we're seeing a successful cultural reconstruction where Gone with the Wind is being reconstituted with an, uh, a lecture before it. We saw Trader Joe's last week eliminate Trader Jose and Trader Mings. And we even got Halle Berry uh, deciding not to play a trans man in a movie after the transgender community was actually outraged by it. So that's the next theme in entertainment I've been talking about. Kit Kat action is in terms of how do you produce right now when you can't produce? And you know we saw, we saw the Hamilton effect, right? Where we saw everything. And Ron, you're probably more of an expert on this about this platform, Broadway HD, where people could see Broadway shows online. I'm calling that the Hamilton effect. So if you can't produce, you know, just show. CVS was the first person, the first brand to do this innovative ad where they sent cameras to people and in these kits to get people to produce on their own and coordinated through Zoom. And then here you have the Arby's CMO who just created a commercial where he was using animation uh, to uh, create and also uh, past content that they uh, already had to create the ad. So you're seeing this innovation and in content. There was a piece in the New York Times about how to shoot a sex scene in a pandemic. There are mannequins, again, animation. They might just show a hand that's being stroked. But again, from David, I want to know like how we're going to reconstitute sex scenes. I don't I ask. Want, I want you to know that all three of those shows in the headline are uh, Viacom CBS shows. 
shows the range of Bold and the Beautiful, Riverdale, and uh, L Word Generation Q. That's that's quite a range of, of outcomes. All right, so I was right. You're the true innovator in the business. So, yeah, all right. Uh, that's with mannequins. That's going on my. Uh, that that's going to go on on my tombstone. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so okay, so we, we we covered that. Amazing. And then the last thing I just want to say for the innovations in entertainment is that actors who can't uh, work right now are doing amazing things. Here is a piece about, uh, you know, Natalie Portman and other investors are uh, coming together to bring women's soccer to Los Angeles. And they basically, if you see this highlight, that I'm proud to be part of this wonderful group working to bring a women's professional football club to Los Angeles. So here we are, and we all know from the stories that there hasn't been pay equity and this organization is gonna make sure that that happens. So to just end up with my little zeitgeiting is that you know I'm saying that we're in the middle of a long second act of a three act movie. We had the, the beginning which was in March, holy shit, COVID. Now we're in the second, I thought it was just gonna be in the summer, but it seems like it's gonna go longer in the fall. And hopefully we'll get a third act, which is the resolution in a movie. Hopefully we won't get a sequel. But right now we're gonna embark on the hope and inspiration on embarking on a new renaissance. So that's my zeitgeist of the week. Uh, so we're gonna have Ron and our television person, uh, David Evans. But before we do that, we have something special to share with you. Jarvis, you, I'll stop share. And uh, we have, uh, wow, uh, Desiree Hall, who's going to do a special performance and I hope you surprise the person in the room that we really wanted to touch. Here we go. Dear God, dear stars, dear trees, dear sky, dear people, dear everything, dear God is inside me and everyone else that was or ever will be. I came into this world with God and when I finally looked inside, I found it. Just as close as my breath is to me. Rising like the sun is the hope that sets us free, your heart beats, make my heart beat, when we share love, like a blade of corn, 
like a honeybee, like a waterfall, all a part of me, like the color purple, where do it come from, now my eyes are open, look what God has done, it take a grain of love to make the mighty tree, even the smallest voice can make a harmony, like a drop of water, keep the river high, there are miracles for you and I, like a blade of corn, like a honeybee, like a waterfall, all apart like the color purple, where do it come from? Now my eyes are open, look what God has done. I don't think us feel old at all. I think this is the youngest us ever felt. Thank you, Desiree. Thanks for your time. If anybody didn't know, uh, that was the song from The Color Purple, which Ron was an investor in, uh, as opposed to a producer. And this is a great uh, segue into uh, starting uh, the Hearts and Minds segment with Ron Simons. Uh, let me just go share the screen for a sec, just to show everybody uh, who he is. Uh, he won the Tony Awards for Porgy and Best uh, in 2012, Bonnie and Sonia and Masher and Spike uh, in 2013, A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder in 2014, and Jitney in 2017. Uh, and he's an investor in The Color Purple. Uh, so Ron, thanks so much for being here. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And yeah, it's uh, let's just go right to the heart and right to the mind because this is. So if there's any business right now, Ron, uh, and one that people are just so upset about not having the opportunity to continue is going to Broadway, which has been a you know cultural touchstone since the, I don't know, last century? Two centuries ago, sorry. Um, and uh, it's so much in terms of uh, how we are shaped as Americans. And uh, you've been doing that in your entire career. So what's going on right now? Well, there are actually surprisingly a large number of Zoom calls that are going on. I'm on Zoom calls five, six, seven times a day. Um, 
And what we're doing is we're doing the groundwork to prep for our return. So um, I've got three Broadway shows that uh, are in development. Uh, one is a revival for Color Girls, which uh, we're moving from the public to Broadway. Uh, an amazing new play called Thoughts of a Colored Man that could not possibly be more pertinent than it is right now. Um, and Blue, it's a play with music uh, that Felicia Rashad is going to be directing with uh, music by Nona Hendrix. It's just going to be a very special piece, which we plan to open at the Apollo Theater uptown. But by the way, sorry, I just got to brag. You know, there was just a New York Times piece written about all those projects that are in development. That that's, if you haven't seen it and you care about Black Broadway, I would encourage you. I don't know if I have it here. Maybe I do. You know what, Jarvis? Jarvis, why don't you put it in the chat? Okay, perfect. You focus so, on illuminating and enlightening us. <laughs> So, so we are basically doing the things that one must needs to do as a producer to get ready for the show, which is to say, we've got to cast it. We've got to make sure we have all of our elements for marketing, advertising, promotion, and press in place. We're you know, planning what might the messaging be when we come back from Broadway. And while people are guessing when we might return, no one really knows. I, we hope that we will be open in March uh, to return in some fashion, but we, as not surprisingly with organizations and companies, and I'm sure David too, with his companies, like how are you going to bring a cast together with the crew in a healthy way um, and making sure that they are safe with consistent and constant testing of actors? Uh, and how do we make sure that the people in the audience are safe? Does that mean we're going to have every other row? Are we going to have two seats between each person. It's unclear at this point, but we all have experts working on, medical experts working on uh, this process and progress to understand what is it gonna look like and feel like to be in a Broadway theater when we reopen. The presumption is that there won't be a vaccine, but if it is a vaccine, then that is a major game changer. And not just for Broadway shows, but touring shows, because I have a show called Ain't Too Proud that was sh shut down on Broadway. And we were supposed to be uh, on our tour, national tour, this year. Needless to say, that got pushed because many states are just shutting down and going back to their initial phases of reopening. But I'm very optimistic. And the reason why I'm optimistic is because theater has been around for eons. It, it, the great flu didn't kill it. So many natural disasters didn't kill it. It somehow survived. And I think that there will always be a place in our society for live performances because they are unique and they do not replicate, they cannot be replicated on screen. And while we with A2 Proud had a beautiful rendition of a song with all the cast and all the members of the band playing, it's not the same experience about sitting in a room being a part of that because when you're in the theater as an audience member there is a call and response between you and who's on stage and they feed one another and that could make a show go through the roof it could make a show stand still or just limp along depending on what the energy is well ron i actually just there was an interesting uh new york times article uh that basically talked about how theaters in new york actually stayed open during the 1918 flu. Um, yeah. and 
I mean, <laughs> I mean, not to laugh, uh, but one of the reasons is, is that, you know, people got really, really sick for the Spanish flu. So they knew that they had it and they stayed home. Um, but there were, you know, uh, you know, uh, city planners who really made an effort to continue with this. Uh, so what, what do you think maybe is the difference now since then, since you're saying that well, I'm not an expert in the 1918 um, flu, but I do know that now um, in New York, there is a anticipation, a hunger for theater because people come to New York not to sit in their apartments all day. They come to New York to participate in the cultural, you know, uh, onus of what it is to be in New York. And that includes, of course, Broadway. Right. I, we expect that when we reopen, most of the attendees will be folks from the area, the tri-state region, who have been sitting at home watching just Netflix and going about their lives, sometimes in a mundane way. And now those people will be ready, willing, and able to go out. Because I think that New Yorkers are resilient, and I think that they're also going to be among some of the fearless to say, you know, I'll go to the theater with a mask, maybe some gloves, and I'll sit around with 600 people I don't know and sanitize and do whatever I need to do because the hunger for theater is just that strong. And it's amazing. Like now, Broadway has been a theater owner's market for quite some time. There are always more shows than there are theaters to show the shows. So that's one difference than what was happening in 1918. You know, this, this, this business of Broadway has never been stronger. Will it return to the $2 billion industry that it was? I like to think so, but it's not gonna start off that way to be clear. I think it's going to have to build to it and it's gonna be a lot of experimentation. Shows are gonna open and if people come, they'll stay open and if they don't, they'll close. So the proof is actually gonna be in the pudding. And I would say that for the fall of this year, there are some shows that are going on tour in October. So we are watching that quite closely over at Ain't Too Proud because if no one's coming out in October, that will give us a flag that mm, maybe January um, for moving. So you're up. gonna you're gonna test it. We don't have to test it. We're just right. gonna observe. Huh? Because it's interesting. I mean, that's a good uh, parallel to what the movie business is doing with Tenet. I mean, there could be an opportunity to do an international tour as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. One of the things that I'm also curious about, because I always like to compare, you know, adjacent industries. I've been in New York City for the last six weeks. I just came to the Hudson Valley, as I said. And before that, I was quarantining my brothers for three months in Connecticut for two months. And so I go back six weeks ago. And that's when I bumped into you. And I begged you to be on this. And you've been so kind. Yeah. And you introduced me to Jarvis, too, who uh, is fantastic. So thank you. Uh, you, you know, we, we all were excited because the week after the restaurants were going to open, right? And they're all outside. And it was like the prohibition. <laughs> like they were like kind of selling drinks behind a table that was blocking the door. Then they opened and there were all this excitement. And then literally last week, I just saw everybody so drained. Not only do they have to do it in like a hundred degree weather, uh, it's so hard. It's expensive. And for, and, and for example, I saw a stat that 
uh, 85% of restaurants in the country could go out of business if they don't get more stimulus. So is there a conversation about that in Broadway? I mean, it seems like, you know, there's so much work that you're doing to prepare all this. Uh, you know, what is, is there like a plan B? Like you started, is there like kind of a, a sequential stage of opening? Well, you know, what I'm really excited about is the advances that I understand are coming in the technology like Zoom, because as we know, Zoom was not created for live performances. It, yeah, but Des Desiree, you were amazing, but clearly. <laughs> However, because I would have been even more probably weeping because that was one of my favorite songs in the show. But um, Mine too. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, for me, it's going to be uh, challenging, but I'm hoping that we will be able to pivot and provide content, perhaps not live, but on the internet. And it's already happening. I mean, I've had readings of plays, one with Joe Morton cutting up, you know, there are more plays that are being read, some of which are being done for uh, fundraisers, for not-for-profits who are in really, really dire straits. I'm really, really worried about regional and local theaters because their bread and butter. They weren't, they really, most, for the most part, were not making millions of dollars anyway. So I'm really concerned about them and particularly about uh, cultural uh, institutions for, uh, from and about and for people of color, right? Because yeah. we- Let's drill down on that. So, you know, I, you should, the, the article that you were in has been talking about black theater, right? And now there's a reconstitution in the terms of, you know, how, we think about providing more of a platform for black theater now that you know uh, Floyd's death happened and Black Lives Matters. Uh, there are two other things that I learned from my friends in theaters. Number one, there always has been like you know we need we have one role uh, for the black woman, right? And this has been something that's been you know I mean all actors are typecasted, but this is also illuminated and put a spotlight on that problem. So what can you say about that? Yeah, I, you know, I have been in this business now for almost 10 years, and what I'm looking forward to is change um, in the Broadway community. But when I came in, being ignorant, I had to, you know, pay my dues, because before you can change the system, you have to learn the system. So I spent the last 10 years trying to understand how processes work, and I can't tell you how many times I've been in a room with 35, 40 people, which we included producers and marketing team and the ad team and the press team and the PR team and the social media team. And I'm the only person of color in the room. That's starting to change. Because when I came on board, there was a couple who did and me, only two black producers on Broadway. And now we're moving to change that. And now we have six black producers on Broadway and I'm mentoring five black women uh, to be Broadway producers, uh, which would almost double the number once they step up and become uh, producers. So they are working on some of my projects. Um, so they have their own projects as well. But honestly, for me, the big issue is going to be monitoring and keeping people's feet to the fire. In other words, I want to hear a report this year about what diversity looks like in Broadway companies. And then I'd like to hear next year what the diversity is for Broadway companies. Because once this window closes, and I suspect that the anti-racism window is moving, and at some point there's going to be something else that's going to take over the headlines, when that happens, it's very easy to fall back 
Excuse me. Oh. already done their press releases. They've set up their initiatives. They, they you know, spoke out about anti, about racism. Now it's about policing ourselves to see, are we actually making progress? Um, and mentoring is a huge area that's of concern for me. I want more people who have the ability to intern or to provide mentoring to people of color to do so because the, the pipeline is not full. There are not a lot of black producers who are working their way to the stage on Broadway and that's gotta change. And it's only way we're gonna change is by inviting them in. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta hire, as Cindy Gow said on her show, you gotta hire, welcome and promote black people. So Ron, because we don't have time, you were generous to say that you would uh, stay on for Zeitgeist Culture Class after hours. Uh, if that's still, could you still do that? I can absolutely do that. Uh, cool. So people hold their questions, but I have one more question for you. I have one more answer before you ask that question. Okay. And that is, I know, I don't know if anyone is, I'm certainly pivoting, right? So while that's I- the question I was going to ask. Are you more creative right now? Of course. I'm writing a one-man show that I'm going to be delivering, because I'm an actor as well. You know, on the internet, I'm developing projects like a, a movie that I'm writing, which of course will be probably still read on the internet. And I've even gone into the health business. Like I've become a distributor for Shackley products. So if you need supplements, <laughs> if you need really, really good skincare products, I'm going to put something in the chat so you can come out and do it. So instead of buying on CBS, why don't you buy from a black producer? who is making things me help a brother out. Yeah, <laughs> Rod Simon. It's all right, well, we are gonna stay on afterwards and uh, people- Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last thing, I just have to say, the reason why I love David, though David has never met me, is because he, I am a Trekkie from the olden days. And he brought Picard to CBS All Access. It made my entire season. So thank you, David. You're very welcome. That's good to hear. All right. Well, this is a great intro. I like, I like an old school fan who embraces embraces the new the new version. So God bless you. I'm there. So David, tell us about you have a long, exciting, successful career. You started as a network executive. Uh, you went to uh, uh, Imagine to be a TV producer, and now you're back in the network business. You're the CEO and chairman, you have a lot of titles. CEO and chairman of Showtime, which you completely reconstituted in a very successful way and interesting. And like, you, you have uh, billions and uh, what's the one uh, with the terrorism and the schizophrenia? Homeland. Homeland's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and now that Viacom and CBS merged, right? You are now the chief creative officer of CBS. So what's going on? I mean, without, you know, I understand yeah. everybody has confidentiality, but what's, your, what's going on? No, look, I don't it's, in the business, but also in the company. Well, it, it's a big, uh, I have a complicated job. I may actually have two jobs. Yeah. So Showtime is- Just like Ron. <laughs> right, right, I have two jobs. I, I, I'm a Broadway producer and I also have my own supplement line. <laughs> I'm going head to head with Ron. Uh, no, um, I, uh, you know, I have, I have Showtime over here where I sort of have full, in the CEO, I have full business control. 
And then on the CBS side, there's, um, I also um, help program the network, help program the originals on all access. So everyone knows you, you put on your list as, a, um, um, as, as one of the others. All access will event, you know, in the very near future will be uh, rebranding itself. And it's going to become sort of a super service for, um, you know, CBS and Nickelodeon and Comedy Central and MTV. It'll continue to be the home of, of Trek, but it, it, there's, there's, uh, um, it's going to become, I think, a much bigger service with a lot more content. Also, you mentioned women's soccer. Uh, All Access is actually the home of women's soccer. So the uh, the NWSL is now is on All Access. UEFA is on All Access. It'll have NFL games. So there's there's going to be a lot of pieces to it. Um, so I have a lot of different jobs, and I also kind of help coordinate all the content across the country. We have a sort of as, as CBS and Viacom have come together, uh, Viacom is, is fundamentally made up of all the Viacom uh, cable channels and those brands of MTV, Nickelodeon, VH1, uh, Pop. Um, it's, par it, it's Paramount Pictures. And now you bring CBS and Showtime and Simon and Schuster into it. That essentially constitutes the, the media conglomerate that is Viacom CBS. Um, so part of my job is making sure there's coordination between all these different content factories. Um, and that's going really well. Um, you know, I think uh, we're now six months into this new merged company, uh, a little more than six months, maybe closer to nine. Um, and it's really starting to uh, operate well. Um, uh, what a what a time to yeah it's it's been wild and fascinating and, and so one of the things that you were talking about which i think you know i can talk about the whole thing but it's just it's too big and complicated a company let's talk about viacom cbs and streaming as you talk about the netflixification of the world we'll so, change that. <laughs> what change it to the streamification how's that yeah i prefer the streamification because you know <laughs> The truth is we've been in it, you know, via both, both all access and Showtime have been in the game for more than five years now. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, this is something I can't announce what exactly our subs are, uh, because that's, we're, you know, we're about to an announce our, uh, second quarter results, but let's suffice it to say it's going very well. And I think we have a lot more, already subs than people realize. And this is before the relaunch of, uh, of, of all access. When but is our that, strategy, we when basically is that have three services. When is that going to happen? Do we know yet or can you say? No, I have, we haven't announced it yet. But anyway, it's good. But it's, I it's think that's year. a good thing because it's like. this year. There's going to be a uh, um, kind of a soft launch. It's going to put a lot of the material from the other, uh, um, from Nickelodeon, and uh, MTV, VH1, all those companies are going to, that's going to be within the next uh, month or so. And then, and then there'll be a, a, a hard launch thereafter. With Can I just say one thing? I think that's actually really good for you because, you know, you see the other ones that are struggling right now because they don't right. have the content. And, right. you can, and you're also like the big hurrah at the end. Know, so. Right. And we're not, um, we're not one. And the point is that we're not launching from zero. We're launching right. from already, you know, uh, tens of millions. So we're, it's, it's going very well. And Showtime, so I was, I was just going to lay out the strategy very, the, the clean brief of 
how do we, how are we approaching the streaming world, which is basically it's three, three legs of the stool. One is Pluto, which is free. Uh, you can get it anywhere you, you want. It's, it's free. It's advertising video on demand. Uh, Showtime is the premium uh, uh, part of it. And Showtime is going to stay Showtime. As HBO becomes HBO Max and goes more mainstream, I think there's an opportunity for Showtime to stay the pure play, uh, premium, R-rated, adult, however you want to say it, you know, sophisticated um, alternative. And then the what's, what's currently CBS All Access, which will be uh, renamed, given a slightly broader name, will become the repository for the mainstream uh, and they'll be, you know, that will also be a subscription service. So it's three legs of the stool, but even just Showtime, um, I will say we, we've put on more subs in the last six months than we had in the previous 30 months. So it is significantly accelerating and, uh, um, and a part of it was happening before COVID like, um, you know, starting December, we really finally got like the content flywheel happening. And, you know, generally on Showtime on a weekly basis, you would see, you know, two shows and, you know, it's Homeland and uh, Homeland and Ray Donovan are on at the same time. Uh, you know, it's kind of two shows, but finally, in the, by the by the end of the year last year, we had three major shows. It was Shameless, Ray Donovan, the L word, uh, the new version of the L word. And in addition to all the movies and smaller series and nonfiction and the circus and all that stuff. So it all started working together and it, we, you know, it's very related amount of content drives usage, usage drives longer lifetime value. So that already started to accelerate November, December of last year. This first quarter this year was our best quarter ever. And then the second quarter, which is really the COVID period. When I, I'm talking about quarters, I'm talking, you know, the first quarter is uh, January through March and just looking at different periods. So that's that was pre-COVID. And then March through June, or uh, April through June is kind of like prime first wave, as you said, the first act of COVID. We're now in the second act of COVID, but it has, it has taken off. And a lot of it is just having the right content at the right time. We made a significant investment last year. Um, and it's laid out very nicely with these sort of tentpole shows driving, um, driving subscribers. And, uh, you know, even a show like The Shy, which is in its third season, which is on right now, which is about sort of African-American life in the south side of Chicago. And it's, it's kind of a celebration. It's from Lena Waithe. Um, it's got tough stuff, but it's not, you know... I think it's more, it's much more upbeat than, you know, say the wire or something. It's not fundamentally crime law and order based, you know, it's about, it's about people living their lives. And so it's, it was kind of like the right show to have at this moment of racial reckoning. And so that show has doubled its, you know, it's, it's, it's business over, over two seasons. So like, that's now a temple show and it's just been an interesting moment. So, you know, in the big picture in the media, um, you know, the live business has been hurt and we're all like, I could not be rooting any harder for, for Ron and everybody, you know, the world needs Broadway back. You know, I have no fear of the, you know, long-term repercussions that, you know, the hunger is there, the demand is not going to go away, but it sucks for people in the theater 
and that's producers and actors and technicians and everybody. It sucks for people in the theater. And that, and the same story in the theater is happening, you know, live performance, all, all the, all the sort of live, which is the, you and know, sports, right? Which in is sports. A- yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's the guts. That's the guts of entertainment is is a live experience, and we're figuring out ways to reconstitute a live experience. But we're all really hungry for live experience back. But and what about production? What do you think? What What's the roadmap? So production, we're we're in the midst of it right now. There are some things coming back. We're about to start making Big Brother again. You know, that's the ultimate contained environment of a show. He's not um, going to get but, COVID. That's, that's right. <laughs> Um, so things are starting to come back. Reality shows will be first. Um, we're in deep in conversations with all the unions. There's four unions that are deep in conversations with the producers right now. It's the IA that represents most of the crew, Teamsters that represent uh, mostly drivers, SAG represents actors, and DGA that represents uh, directors and production managers. And so it's sort of what Ron said. Um, and everyone's trying to figure it out together. I think we're, you know, Sooner or later, we're going to get we're going to figure out what the protocol is. I think there's general agreement on what the testing protocol is going to be. Um, so I'm hoping we're going to get back into big scale production, you know, September, October. Are uh, you going are you going internationally to do some things where it might be? We are. I mean, we're already very international. So we have a production of Halo that is um, was interrupted, it was in the middle of production in Budapest. And we're desperately trying to get into Budapest. So it's complicated because there's unions, there's governments. We're negotiating with the uh, with the government of Hungary, uh, which is has challenges uh, in Canada. Um, the Canadian government doesn't necessarily want to agree to what SAG wants. So Canadian uh-huh. government, they're being the way it works in Canada is the government controls who gets tested, and they they make priorities. So. You know, it looks like the, the, the gist of our agreement with SAG and with the unions is going to be once a week for everybody and three times a week for what's considered zone A, which are the actors and the people right around the camera. Um, and uh, but the Canadian government is like, uh, we don't think film people are so much more important than everybody else. So we're not necessarily going to agree to that. So there's a little tension there between an a American labor union and a Canadian, the Canadian yeah. government. So anyway, it's, it's, been, for it's those, been... For those of you who don't know, SAG is the Screen Actors Guild, the guild for actors. Another thing I want to say, it's interesting in terms of your strategy, in terms of having these 10 poll to bring you in, because I would say that's the success yeah. of Disney Plus with The Mandalorian or Hamilton, whereas uh, HBO Max, you know, they really, or Peacock, they're really relying on everything they have that's not really 10 poll. So that's a cool strategy. I want to. It doesn't, you know, that may drive a lot of usage, but you're probably not going to sign up because, oh, they have friends like, uh, you know, but uh, they don't. You've seen friends. friends, You'll watch friends if it's there. You like friends. But, you know, is that really going to convince you to sign up and fork over fifteen dollars a month? And so, you know, but they have it's a long game. And, you know, when they get back into production, they'll have some tenfold programming. All right, so let's shift to, let's shift to uh, creativity, because you are creative. Yeah, let's talk creativity, much more interesting. Yeah, yeah, is what I'm talking to the wrong guy, by the way, but I'll- uh, What are you talking I'll, about? I've been with you, you're the, 
That, that's why I'm so surprised. Well, you're, aren't you the chief creative officer? So, yeah. Uh, so it seems like you're more creative in terms of like, what's the new type of leadership now? And of course, you're, you're focusing on ending systemic racism as well. Like, okay, it's exciting, but it probably is like the most challenging time in your life as a leader. By the way, do you have a hard stop at three o'clock? If you do, it's fine. No, I can go, I can go in another 15, 20 minutes. Night guide, culture class after hours. I love it. Okay. <laughs> I want to get going. You can ask questions for me and Ron together. I think we're going to be more Okay, well, that's good. Before we, I do have a question for you and Ron, uh, but I also want to ask you this about your creative process and, you know, creativity in a time of COVID. You know, what are, so you, we showed the mannequin and the, you know, like, how are we going to see sex scenes? Well, I don't even know how I mean, to date. Let alone <laughs> yeah, people are figuring out how to date, Brad, and you're going to figure out how to date. I mean, there's nothing like a little hardship um, to change your processes. Uh, so maybe your dating processes could use a little change. That wouldn't be the best, you know. So uh, the good thing. So I, I, love, I love that Lawrence Wright article about the the Black Plague because I do think like good. I know for a fact that good stuff is going to come out of this and. You know, uh, I hope for Ron's sake that there's, you know, there's great playwrights writing right now and, oh. and there's going to be interesting shit happening and it's going to make, you know, our, our creative cultural lives more interesting hereafter. So I don't know at all exactly how it's going to work yet, but, uh, um, you know, I like to say about my job is I'm, I'm not an athlete, but I'm an athletic supporter. <laughs> so like, you know, and same thing, like, I think... You know, the, the, my value add to the system and probably like Ron, although he seems like he works on both sides, both as a producer and as a writer and actor. But, uh, you know, is to get get the best out of people and push people to do their best work. And uh, that's uh, a leader today. That's a leader today. But also yeah. you saw my you know slide on the workplace now. I mean, there are a lot of sure there's furloughs and, uh, you know, layoffs at your company. And, you know, the mood isn't really so high right now on all these different levels. You know, they have to figure out how to send their kids back to school or not to school. So, you know, what do you do as a leader to inspire today? Well, there's an excess of communication in a good way. Like, uh, I, I feel more in touch with what's happening in my, because, because of Zoom is, is a very way to, for, for efficient uh, communication with people. So that's helpful. I think you've got to be honest about what's happening. There's been, you know, wave after wave of, you know, tough stuff. You know, the political situation in the, comp in the, in the country is tough. And then there is tough. Um, there's, you know, the economy isn't great. Uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's a reason why uh, George Floyd hit with a ton of bricks heavier than uh than a lot of other um you know cop killings um that came before it because of where we're sitting right now and how we're talking to each other so you just you know i, I but it's also i keep saying I that about being direct you know let's let's you know let's 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 not dance around uh let's yeah, not dance I keep saying i'm gonna shift to you and ron uh, but I keep saying my whole theme is that COVID has been a magnifier of all the shit yeah. that's 
our world before and now an accelerator to the change. It's an accelerant. It's been yeah. an absolute accelerant for a lot of trends that are already uh, happening. And, and, and I think it will be an accelerant for change. Uh, for good. All right, Ron, you wanted to ask David a question. Yeah, David. Oh, hold on. Because you have to, you have to yeah. leave it there, right? I have to leave shortly. I don't have to be on the next Zoom at three, but some. Yeah, David, I can't believe you like Zoom. It's like exhausting. But it's good to. I, I mean, I don't love it. I would. I'm dying. I'm one of the people. I'm one of the thirty percent that's dying to get back in the office. We we we've done studies, and it looks like twenty or thirty percent want to go home, go back, and you know, seventy percent are like, oh, I'm not ready. I, I am in the twenty or thirty percent that is like dying to do it. And you do it even with the safety precautions and all that, like or the yeah. But but you know my company is not allowing it. It's not it's not a choice right now. Uh, I think wisely because they shouldn't listen to me about everything. Um, so <laughs> you're the creative officer. You're yeah. not the CEO. I'm not the safety officer. <laughs> I listen. I listen to the safety officers. Sorry, Ron. Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say they. You know, because and especially in this anti-racism culture that we're in now, and the number of folks who are now woke. Um, there in the article you'll see if you haven't seen it that there are a number of uh, black content that's being created and has already been created and I think um, we should see if we can collaborate to cross-pollinate between the good work that we're doing here on Broadway and the good work you're doing on television because I'm working with someone who is from Hollywood and we're going to turn that property into a musical I would love to be able to see are there properties that we can also bring to Hollywood that would make good content for your viewers. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. Um, and uh, yeah, first of all, I'd love to, sec love to do it specifically with you. But second of all, um, you know, I get a uh, cut? Peter, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's so much going on uh, that every day. I mean, literally the, me the meeting I was on beforehand, which was a rare actual creative meeting for me um where it, we've been we're working on an adaptation of the great swedish movie let the right one in um and the, the by the way the guy who the writer who i was working with is actually a you know a, a um uh is a playwright comes out of broadway andrew hinderaker hinderaker and uh um just so yeah of course i mean you you have incredible access to writing talent um and also uh you know um lots of incredible properties that i think would work great on television so i already looked at it as broadway is a huge source i completely agree and i you know it's already started cross-pollinating in that a number of the playwrights that i know like dominique so who wrote proud she wrote the shameless and she's now working on yeah. other shows so the writing there's a connectivity um, but I think in terms of productions, there's a real rich, fertile ground that, that we can uh, leverage and take advantage of. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I have a question. Are you thinking of doing it like, you know, I called it the Hamiltonian effect. Is it going to be like that? Or are you thinking of doing it more in terms of like what they did with Les Miserables at some point? Like, how are you thinking about it, about translating broadly? Ask me or Ron? You, actually, the, the buyer. Well... <laughs> like what you're interested in my i mean i'm i'm there are the rare ones that are a one-off like event like hamilton uh um but in general i don't, I don't think that's i mean there's going to be some of that and especially in the uh 
in the confined environment that we are now. Broadway is a good sort of confined uh, process, so I think you can do it. But in in general, you know, I think you got to create, you know, this you got to create the tell the story, but for the for the medium. And I don't think theater is necessarily the best medium for uh, for television, but you know, it, yes, it can be. But I think I don't know. I, I'm, I'm in the long run. I think it's going to be about taking great theater, great stories, uh, great concepts, and then adapting them for television. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, both of you, um, if we're going to be spending more money, like you were saying, with the the uh, guild that might require more money for safety, right? And Ron, you were telling me about you know cleaning the theaters and having thermometers before. So are prices going to go up for everybody in terms of that? What does that mean? Well, I, I know. I, it's, we're between a rock and a hard place there, right? Because so many people have had a, such a major reduction in you know, their income that they don't have the same disposable income. Now, there may be some part of the strata that is not as price sensitive than others. Um, but we're hoping that we will be able to work with the unions as, you know, that are mentioned by David that overlap to a degree and making sure that we have deliver a product lean with as little overhead so that we can have a lower weekly nut because we don't know that if people are going to still want to pay you know $250 or $175 to see I paid $500 for ain't too proud <laughs> hit now come on now Brad I can't help you there when you got a big hit you got a big hit but uh, but I'm hoping that we will uh, be able to find a nice medium, right? Where it's, it's, it, it, we can still attract the people who we want to attract, who are our loyal fans, um, and also attract the people who have been sitting in their homes who may not always go to Broadway theaters to see a show. So right. it's a very, it, it's a minefield <laughs> that we're traversing. We'll talk about it. I'm so much smarter, though, about about pricing and stratification and meeting demand. Uh, they'll they'll figure this one out too. Um, you guys will figure this out, and you know, can't charge more than people can afford, but you got to find find that sweet spot. And so I think there's going to be there will be a premium on smaller shows coming back, right? You know, at least initially, I, I presume. You know, in Broadway, seventy percent of our market is. It's tourism, so I don't expect that people will be rushing onto planes, trains, and automobiles to come to New York immediately, um, which is why I said I think the New York area is going to be there. But to, to your point, David, we do have dynamic ticket pricing, so you know we can we can bend to make sure that we have our homes, houses filled, with, you know, with uh, audience members. So that's exciting. Yeah, I just wanted before, if we continue, that'd be great with questions or if you have to run. Just next week is our second to last culture class of the summer semester. And uh, here's an interesting guy, Matt Seiler. He used to be uh, the CEO of IPG Media Brands, which is one of the big advertising holding companies. And he pivoted to go into marketing employees um, and executives of how to redefine themselves, not in terms of what they do for a living, like a development executive, a marketing executive, a human resources executive, a tech person. It's more about marketing yourself for a job in terms of who you are, your main. So I would be Mr. Curiosity. We need a curiosity. We need a teacher, right? Uh, David, we need a, 
uh, a creative person. Ron, we need somebody who could do a gazillion different jobs. And so he has a really interesting way of like uh, shaping your career in the future. And it's all about marketing yourself. And then we're going to have Dr. Tiffany Jana. And she's really cool. She lives um, in Richmond. And uh, she wrote a book called Overcoming Bias. And that's our second to last one. Uh, we'll be on COVID number 20. And then the week after, uh, there's a very special uh, opening, which I don't want to tell anybody with. And then it's going to be of just me zeitguiding uh, the entire time in the four big buckets, basically what I do for clients and what I do for my premium offering. And then uh, we'll figure it out what we're going to do for the fall. So thank you to everybody who's been here uh, with us. Uh, Ron and David, uh, you know, if you have to go, great. I'm, I'm blessed that you're here. Uh, I want to make sure and tell us all where we could uh, sign up for CBS All Access. That would be great. Um, CBSAllAccess.com. That's easy. All right, great. And then Ron, uh, if somebody wants to buy some products from you, how would they reach you? Or oh, I put, uh, I put my health uh, information in the chat. So if you want to click on that, it'll take you right to my portal. And um, also, if I don't know who's on the call, but you know, I'm always all looking for people who are interested in telling the untold story of underrepresented communities. So if you want to invest or produce in Broadway, the doors are open. I want more women, more people of color, but more importantly, I want people with a conscience people who want to do more than just make a ton of money. And that's what we need to do to reboot humanity. Our world was disrupted by technology, then it's been disrupted by COVID. And now the only way to reconstitute a, an amazing future that we all want to live in, back to the theme of the cultural renaissance, we got to focus on humanity now. That's the only I way. agree. Oh, and to that point, there is a, doc a documentary that actually my co-producer here is on the line, uh, Christine, uh, called Viva Verdi which is a heartwarming story about the seniors who retired to, in Milan uh, into the home of, of Casa Verdi, which was set up by Giuseppe Verdi, uh, the opera writer. And it's really gonna be beautiful. So keep an eye out, keep an ear open, double Vs, Viva Verdi. Okay, and the last thing I'll say is I always have to pitch at the end, we've been doing this uh, out of the bottom of our in our entire hearts and minds. Uh, you know, if you can make a contribution for all the people who help us here, insightguide.com, thank you. You'll see all the people who are here for the summer semester. And uh, yeah, we got two more. I hope everybody, you know, this is act two still. Um, you know, if you do have Zoom fatigue or whatever, it's time to, you know, look at nature and think about act three because it's gonna be challenging for all of us, but I believe in all of us and uh, thank you for participating in culture class and I'll see you next week. Great. Thank you, Brad. Thank you so much. Be in touch. Bye.